Section 20 of Select Sermons of Jonathan Edwards. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. Select Sermons of Jonathan Edwards. Section 20. Wicked Men Useful in Their Destruction Only. Part 2. When the saints in heaven shall look upon the damned in hell, it will serve to give them a greater sense of their own happiness, seeing how vastly different their case is from their own. The view of the doleful condition of the damned will make them the more prize their own blessedness. When they shall see how dreadful the anger of God is, it will make them the more prize his love. They will rejoice so much the more that they are not the objects of God's anger, but of his favour that they are not the subjects of his dreadful wrath, but are treated as his children, are taken near to him, to dwell in the everlasting embraces of his love. When they shall see the misery of the damned, it will give them a great sense of the distinguishing grace and love of God to them, and that God should from all eternity set his love on them, and make so great a difference between them and others who are of the same species with them, are no worse by nature than they, and have deserved no worse of God than they. When they shall look upon the misery of the damned, and consider how different their own state is from theirs, and that it is only free and sovereign grace that makes a difference, what a great sense will this give them of the wonderful grace of God to them? And how will it heighten their praises? With how much greater admiration and exultation of soul will they sing of the free and sovereign grace of God to them? When they shall look upon the damned and see their misery, how will heaven ring with praises of God's justice towards the wicked, and his grace towards the saints? And with how much greater enlargement of heart will they praise Jesus Christ, their Redeemer, that ever he was pleased to set his love upon them, his dying love, and that he should so distinguish them as to spill his blood and make his soul an offering, to redeem them from that so great misery, and to bring them to such exceeding happiness? With what love and ecstasy will they sing that song in Revelations 5, 9, and 10? Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every tongue and kindred and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests. One end which the Apostle mentions why God appointed vessels of wrath is the more to make known the wonderfulness of his mercy towards the saints. In Romans 9:22 and 23, there are two ends mentioned. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? That is one end. Then another is mentioned immediately after, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Application 1. Hence we may learn how just and righteous God is in the destruction of those who bring forth no fruit to God, seeing there is no other way in which they can be useful, or in which the end of their being can be obtained. Certainly it is most just that God should thus dispose of them. Why should God be frustrated of his end through their perverseness? If men will not do the work for which he hath made and fitted them, if they, through a spirit of opposition and rebellion against God, refuse, Yet why should God suffer himself to be disappointed of his end in making them? It doth not become the infinite greatness and majesty of God to suffer himself to be disappointed and frustrated by the wickedness and perverseness of sinful worms in the dust. 
If God should suffer this, it would seem to argue either a want of wisdom in God to fix upon a good end, or a want of power to accomplish it. God made all men that they might be useful, and if they will not be useful in their conduct and actions, how just is it that God should make them useful in their sufferings? God made all men for his own glory, and if they, contrary to the revealed will of God, refuse to glorify him actively and willingly, how just is it that God should glorify himself upon them in what he doth with them? It hath been shown that there is no other way wherein this can be done, but by their destruction. Surely, therefore, it must be just and righteous that God should destroy them. Men are under no natural necessity of being put to use of glorifying God in their sufferings. God gives them opportunity of glorifying Him in doing, in bringing forth fruit, puts them under advantages for it, and uses many means to bring them to it. But if they will not be useful this way, it is very just that God should make them useful in the only remaining way in which they can be useful, viz. in their destruction. God is not forward to put them to this use. He tells us that He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from His way and live. Ezekiel 33.11 God represents the destruction of sinners as a work to which he is backward, yet it is meet that they should be destroyed, rather than that they should be suffered to frustrate God of the end of their being. Who can blame the husbandman for cutting down and burning a barren tree, after he hath diggeth about it, and dunged it, and used all proper means to make it fruitful? Let those among us consider this who have lived all their lives hitherto unprofitably, and never have brought forth any fruit to God's glory, notwithstanding all the means that have been used with them. Consider how just it would be if God should utterly destroy you and glorify himself upon you in that way, and what a wonder of patience it is that God hath not done it before now. 2. This subject ought to put you upon examining yourselves, whether you be not wholly useless creatures, you have now heard that those who bring forth no fruit to God are, as to any good they do, wholly useless. Inquire, therefore, whether you have ever in your lives brought forth any fruit to God. Have you ever done anything from a gracious respect to God, or out of love to God? By only seeking your worldly interest, you do not bring forth fruit to God. It is not bringing forth fruit to God for you to come to public worship on the Sabbath, to pray in your families and other such like things, merely in compliance with the general custom. It is not to bring forth fruit to God that you be sober, moral and religious, only to be seen of men, or out of respect to your own credit and honour. How is that for God which is only for the sake of custom or the esteem of men? It is not to bring forth fruit to God, for men to pray and read and hear, and to be strict and diligent in religious and moral duties, merely from the fear of hell. What thanks are due to you for not loving your own misery, and for being willing to take some pains to escape burning in hell to all eternity? There is never a devil in hell but would gladly do the same. Hosea 10.1 Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. There is no fruit brought forth to God, where there is nothing done in any wise from love to God, or from any true respect to him. God looketh at the heart. He doth not stand in need of our services, neither is he benefited by anything that we can do. He doth not receive anything of us, because it benefits him, 
but only as a suitable testimony of our love and respect to him. This is the fruit that he seeks. Men themselves will not accept of those shows of friendship, which they think are hypocritical, and come not from the heart. How much less should God, who searches the hearts, and trieth the reins of the children of men? John 4.23 God is a spirit, and that they worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Inquire, therefore, whether you ever in your lives did the least thing out of love to God. Have you not done all for yourselves? Zechariah 7, 5 and 6 When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years, did you at all fast unto me, even unto me? And when you did eat, and when you did drink, did you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? 3. Another use of this subject may be of conviction and humiliation to those who never brought forth any fruit to God. If upon examination you find that you have never in all your lives done anything out of a true respect to God, then it hath been demonstrated that, as to anything which you do, you are altogether useless creatures. And consider what a shameful thing it is for such rational beings as you are, and placed under such advantages for usefulness, yet to be wholly useless and to live in the world to no purpose. We esteem it a very mean character in any person, that he is a worthless, insignificant person, and to be called so is taken as a great reproach. But consider seriously whether you can clear yourselves of this character. Set reason to work. Can you rationally suppose that you do in any measure answer the end for which God gave you your being? and made you of a nature superior to the beasts, but that you may be sensible what cause you have to be ashamed of your unprofitableness. Consider the following things. 1. How much God hath bestowed upon you in the endowments of your nature. God hath made you rational, intelligent creatures, hath endowed you with noble powers, those endowments wherein the natural image of God consists, you are vastly exalted in your nature above the other kinds of creatures here below. You are capable of a thousand times as much as any of the brute creatures. He hath given you a power of understanding, which is capable of vastly extending itself, of looking back to the beginning of time, and of considering what was before the world was, and of looking forward beyond the end of time. It is capable of extending beyond the utmost limits of the universe, and is a faculty whereby you are akin to angels, and are capable even of knowing God, of contemplating the divine being and his glorious perfections, manifested in his works and in his word. You have souls capable of being the habitation of the Holy Spirit of God, and his divine grace. You are capable of the noble employments of angels. How lamentable and shameful it is that such a creature should be altogether useless and live in vain. How lamentable that such a noble and excellent piece of divine workmanship should fail off its end and be to no purpose. Was it ever worth while for God to make you such a creature with such a noble nature and so much above other kinds of creatures only to eat and drink and gratify your sensual appetites? how lamentable and shameful to you that such a noble tree should be more useless than any tree of the forest that man whom god hath thus set in honour should make himself more worthless than the beasts that perish two 
How much God hath done for you in the creation of the world! He made the earth and seas, and all the fullness of them, for the use of man, and hath given them to him. Psalm 115.16 The earth hath he given to the children of men. He made the vast variety of creatures for man's use and service. Genesis 1.28 Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. For the same purpose he made all the plants and herbs and trees of the field. Genesis 1.29 I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree, yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. He made the sun in the heavens, the glorious luminary, the wonderful globe of light, to give light to man, and to constitute the difference between day and night. He also made the moon, and the vast multitude of stars, for the use of man, to be to him for signs and seasons. What great provision hath God made for man! What a vast variety of good things for food and otherwise to be for his convenience, to put him under advantages to be useful! How lamentable is it that after all these things he should be a useless creature in the world! 3. How much is done for you in the course of God's common providence? Consider how nature is continually labouring for you. The sun is, as it were, in a ferment for mankind, unweariedly running his course from year to year, and from day to day, and spending his rays upon man, to put him under advantage to be useful, every day giving him light that he may have opportunity to behold the glorious wisdom of God, and to see and serve God. The winds and clouds are continually labouring for you, and the waters are going in a constant circulation, ascending in the air from the seas, descending in rain, gathering in streams and rivers, returning to the sea, and again ascending and descending for you. The earth is continually labouring to bring forth her fruit for your support. The trees of the field are labouring and spending their strength for you. And how many of the poor brute creatures are continually labouring for you, and spending their strength for you? How much of the earth is spent upon you? How many of God's creatures are devoured by you? How many of the lives of the living creatures of God are destroyed for your sake, for your support and comfort? Now, how lamentable will it be if after all you be altogether useless, and live to no purpose? What mere cumberers of the ground will you be? Agreeably to Luke 13.7 Nature, which thus continually labours for you, will be burdened with you. This seems to be what the Apostle means. Romans eight twenty twenty one and 22 Where he tells us that the creation is made subject to vanity and brought into the bondage of corruption and that the whole creation groans and travails in pain under his bondage. 4. How much is done for you in the use of the means of grace? How much hath God done to provide you with suitable means and advantages for usefulness? How many prophets hath God sent into the world in different ages, inspiring them with his Holy Spirit, and enabling them to work many miracles to confirm their word, whereby you now have the written word of God to instruct you? How great a thing hath God done for you to give you opportunity and advantage to be useful, in that he has sent his own Son into the world? He who is really and truly God, 
united himself to the human nature and became a man to be a prophet and teacher to you and other sinners yet he lay down his life to make atonement for sin that you might have encouragement to serve god with hopes of acceptance how many ordinances have been instituted for you how much of the labour of the ministers of god hath been spent upon you is not that true concerning you which is written in isaiah five at the beginning concerning the vineyard planted in a very fruitful hill and fenced and cultivated with peculiar care and pains which yet proved unfruitful how much hath the dresser of the vineyard digged about the barren tree and dunged it and yet it remains barren consider what a shame it is that you should live in vain when all the other creatures that are inferior to you do glorify their creator according to their nature you who are so highly exalted in the world are more useless than the brute creation yet than the meanest worms or things without life as earth and stones for they all do answer their end in the way in which nature hath fitted them for it none of them fail it they are all useful in their places all render the proper tribute of praise to their creator while you are mere nuisances in the creation and burdens to the earth as any tree of the forest is more useful than the vine if it bear not fruit four let me in a further application of this doctrine exhort you by all means to bring forth fruit to god let it be your constant endeavour to be in this way actively useful in the world here consider three things one what an honour it will be to such poor creatures as you are to bring forth fruit to the divine glory what is such a poor worm as man that he should be enabled to bring forth any fruit to god it is the greatest honour of the nature of man that god hath given him a capacity of glorifying the great creator it is what no other creature in this lower world can do in the same manner as man there is no creature in the visible world that is capable of actively glorifying god but man two in bringing forth fruit to god you will be so profitable to none as to yourselves you cannot thereby be profitable to god job twenty two two can a man be profitable to god you may thereby be profitable to your fellow creatures yet not so much as to yourselves the fruit which you bring forth to god will be a greater benefit to yourselves than to any one living you will be more useful to yourselves than to any one else although you are under a natural obligation to bring forth fruit to god yet god doth not require it of you without a reward he will richly reward you for it in requiring you to bring forth fruit to him he doth but require you to bring forth fruit to your own happiness you will taste the sweetness of your own fruit it will be most profitable for you in this world to bring forth fruit to god it will be exceedingly to your benefit while here it will be pleasant to you to lead a fruitful and holy life the pleasure will be beyond the labour besides this god hath promised to such a life everlasting rewards unspeakable infinite benefits so that by it you will infinitely advance your own interest three if you remain thus unprofitable and be not actively useful surely god will obtain his end of you in your destruction he will say concerning the barren tree cut it down why cumbereth it the ground christ in john fifteen six tells us 
If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. This is spoken of the barren branches in the vine. How would you yourselves do in such a case with a barren tree in an orchard, or with weeds and tares in your fields? Doubtless it were in your power, you would utterly destroy them. God will have his end, he will accomplish it. Though all men and devils unite their endeavours, they cannot frustrate God in anything. And though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 11.1 1. God hath sworn by his great name that he will have his glory of men, whether they will actively glorify him or no. Numbers 14, 21, 22 and 23 But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all those men which have seen my glory, and my miracles which I did in Egypt, and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. The axe lieth at the root of the trees, and every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, and cast into the fire. Matthew 3.10 The end of those men who bring forth nothing but briars and thorns is to be burned. As in Hebrews 6.7 and 8 For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. So we read of the tares. Matthew 8.30 Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather you together first the tares, and bind them into bundles to burn them. And in verses 40, 41 and 42 as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So it is said of the shaft, Matthew 3.12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, Gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. If you continue not to bring forth any fruit to the divine glory, as you have hitherto done, hell will be the only fit place for you. It is a place prepared on purpose to be a receptacle of such persons. In hell nature ceases to labour any more for sinners. The sun doth not run his course to shine upon them, the earth doth not bring forth her fruit to be consumed upon them there. There they will have no opportunity to consume the fruits of divine goodness on their lusts. In hell they can prejudice or encumber nothing upon which God sets any value. There the faithful servants and ministers of God will no longer spend their strength in vain upon them. When the barren tree is in the fire, the servants of the husbandman are freed from any further labour or toil in digging about and manuring it. In hell they will no more have opportunity to clog and discourage the flourishing of religion, and to destroy much good, as they often do in this world. In hell they will no more have opportunity to corrupt others by their ill example. In hell they will no more have it in their power to offend the godly, 
They may hurt and torment one another, but the godly will be out of their reach. In hell there will be no ordinances, no sabbaths, no sacraments, no sacred things, for them to profane and defile by their careless and hypocritical attendance. Hell, therefore, if you remain unfruitful and cumbers of the ground, will be the fittest place for you, and there you will surely have your portion assigned you. There God will get himself honour upon you. There he will magnify himself in your ruin, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and will be praised upon that account by the saints at the day of judgment, and by all the host of heaven throughout everlasting ages. End of section 20